welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. I want to give just kind of a quick recap of last week. Um, So last week we were in Romans chapter 9 and we talked heavily about the sovereignty of God. And we basically said this, like there are things that we can understand and there are parts of it that we try to understand and maybe we get a conceptual idea of the sovereignty of God, but ultimately no one can fully grasp and understand God's sovereignty. Nobody can fully wrap their minds around the decisions and the things that God has ordained and the things that he's working out and making happen. We cannot fully understand the sovereignty of God, but we can trust the sovereignty of God. We can trust that God is leading. We can trust that that God is still working and that he's doing all things and working them all together for the good of those who are called and who love him, right? And so, so we see this kind of working as we trust the sovereignty of God and we say, Lord, we believe that you are able and that you do and that you are working for our good, but ultimately he is working for his good, for his name to be glorified. So here we are this week. We're going to do two chapters this week, Romans 10 and 11. Uh, I, I did this a few weeks back where we did two, and it was, I did way too much. So today we're going to do um, far less within two chapters uh, than we tried to accomplish a few weeks ago. And then you're all going like, we're, not, we're ready for dinner now because we've been here for six and a half hours. I'm just kidding. It wasn't that long. If you're new here today, we did not go six and a half hours. Uh, it was only four That's not true either. You can believe everything else I say from here on, right? From that, prior to that, now we're going to be back into it. So here we go. Uh, Let's work through um, Romans chapter 10 and 11. So at the end of Romans chapter 9 last week, a statement basically was made that, that Paul said, Jesus became, Christ became a stumbling block for the Israel people, right? For the Israelites. So here's the issue. So Jesus then being the Messiah, now it's saying, this is the Messiah. He was born from your lineage and you can trace it back and, and you have this incredible blessing. He, he did not come the way they hoped and expected. He didn't do what they were wanting him to do. And therefore they couldn't accept the fact that this Messiah was coming from for spiritual regeneration and not for political or or, or for freedom for a nation. They were hoping that he would come in and overthrow the Roman government and then solidify himself on the throne of David and say, I am the Messiah. I am the one who has come to take over the world and conquer the people, right? And it's kind of what they were pursuing and hoping for and thinking the Messiah would be. When Jesus didn't come that way, all of a sudden it became a whoa, this is not what I was looking for. This doesn't fit into my box and understanding of who the Messiah is. So then he becomes this stumbling block. So now it is that thing that's kind of in the way, right? And we talked a little bit about, have you ever had a box that you sat down and you're like, I just, why is it sitting here? It's just in my, and so this is kind of what Jesus became to the Israelite people. And they're going, I, we can't, we're just going to move it out of the way because this is an issue for us, right? And so they move on from that. And so here we, we jump then as we continue into Romans chapter 10 with this continued thought. And let's start with verse one through four. And he says this, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge since they 
did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The first thing you need to notice this morning is this. Everyone can be saved. Everyone can be saved. Israel didn't even realize their need for a savior. They, 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 they didn't see that, that their unrighteousness was, was prevalent because they had the law, right? And so they thought that through the law, they were made righteous by keeping the law, by doing the good, by, by, by obeying the commands and then obeying the other commands that, that were added to the commands to keep the commands so that the commands could be kept. It's essentially how that process went. Don't ask me to repeat that because I can't. So Paul can more than sympathize with these people because he himself was a Pharisee. He was, he is an Israelite. He was a Jew amongst the people. And he says, I, I get it. I see what they're walking through. He, he was just like them. And it wasn't until the road to Damascus when Paul recognized his need or his, the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, right? And he's walking and all of a sudden he's hit by this bright light. And I almost sang blinded by the light. We just... We'll keep moving. I want to so bad. We're not going to. And all of a sudden, the light hits him right, and, all, and he falls, and he's like, who are you, Lord? And I want, I, I, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, yes, right? Because he asks, who are you, Lord? And he's, I'd be like, that's it, you got it, finally. So he has this moment, and there's this conversion, and this thing that shifts, and this, and this change that takes place. So Paul, being an Israelite, understands the need to keep the law. So he can more than sympathize with them. So when he says, I pray for them to understand that, that they're, they're pursuing righteousness uh, in the wrong way. They're not, they're not seeking after the righteousness that comes through Christ. And he says, I can testify about them. They are zealous for God, but their, zeal's not, their zeal is not based on knowledge. They were zealous for righteousness. They, they, they longed to do right. They longed to do good. And so they had this law that was given to them to reveal to them their unrighteousness is the ultimate, which we've read and we've talked about as we've gone through Romans. But, but he, it's more than just they're, they're zealous. For, in fact, if you look in the Old Testament, they weren't just zealous for the righteousness in the law. They thought, you know what? We're going to add to this. We're going to put other laws that, that then helps us to keep other parameters and guidelines so that we can keep the big picture so that we don't misobey that command or that command. So they were purely zealous for doing good, but it was not in a heart and a longing for righteousness for the sake of the Lord, but it was, became this thing, as you see in the Pharisees and their interactions with Jesus, about feeling good about themselves amongst others. It was about, look at how great I am and, and look how awesome I am at keeping the law and all others are beneath me. And it's kind of this perception and this persona that we find as Jesus then has to deal with the Pharisees. And Paul was once a Pharisee. And so he's like, I get their, their, their longing for righteousness. He said they were zealous for righteousness. They were in harsh pursuit of it to the point of even saying, we're going to add to the law and continue to add to the law. And we're going to claim it as the Lord's law and deem it as such. And so we're going to keep all of these little teeny tiny itty bitty commands so that in the end we will be righteous. He said, so, so they missed the big picture. They missed the, the understanding that they established their own righteousness, so to speak. They didn't submit to God's righteousness. 
And in verse four, he says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. We live in a world that has this idea of a good enough standard. I was at a funeral yesterday that it was somebody who was not a believer. I was just attending. I was not speaking. And it was everything inside of me to not jump up and want to uh, take over. Uh, because it was person after person. And this thing was just all about, well, he was a good person. He was a good person. And, and then they tried to play this balance game where it was, well, he did far more good than he did bad. And it was a hard moment to stand up and, or to sit and listen and hear the son come up and say, listen, I really appreciate you all saying these very good things about my father because I never saw that man. And he goes, and it makes me feel better knowing that he did have good in him. See, we live in a world that has this mindset and this understanding that, or this thought that, that if I'm good enough, then everything will work out. If I'm good enough, then I will, I will make it to heaven. And that's just not the truth. Because the reality is none of us are good enough. And if we're trying to do it based on our own merit and our own ability, we're going to fall short every single time. It's only through Christ that we are deemed righteous. It's only by the blood of Jesus that we're washed and made clean and made right before the Lord. Because we are not good enough. When I stop and I think about, man, uh, if it was based on my own merit and what I could accomplish, I would be fearing for my soul. Because I know that in the end, the good doesn't outweigh the bad. Especially when we can get into the depths of the theological understanding of the total depravity of our sinful nature and the fact that, that, that we are not able on our own to obtain righteousness. And if it's based on merit, then there's no room for grace. And we'll get to that in a minute. You end up with the salvation built on karma. In case you're wondering, I don't believe in karma. Just throw that out there. Because karma says you get what you deserve. Whatever that may be, you've got it coming. Karma. I believe in grace. I believe that through the blood of Jesus that my sins are forgiven and that I'm covered in the righteousness of Christ. I think the idea of, of karma is harsh. If you really want to think about it, it's, it's, it, it doesn't, yes, we reap what we sow, but we can sow righteousness through belief and confession. And we'll talk through that in a minute. can't be based on our own doing. It's purely on Christ because he is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ did what the law could not do. And that was he gives righteousness. Let's pick up in in verse eight. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's some incredible doctrine in this passage and understanding of scripture as it pertains to our receiving of salvation. But the the fact of the matter is that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. It starts with confession of who Jesus is. This, this, this idea of confession is not a sense in this moment about confessing uh, your wrongdoing and your sin, but it's about confessing that he is Lord and, and basically saying, I then line up in agreement with the Father and stating that his Son is Lord. Now, this is a big shift for people, especially within the, the, uh, the Israelite nation, within the Jewish faith, because the only person who had ever been given the title Lord is God the Father. And so making this, this shift and this change is huge one for Paul as a, as a former you know, Hebrew-believing you know, kind of Jew, but making the shift to then say, now I am a Christian who is also a Jew, and saying, I recognize and see Jesus as Lord as well. This is a big shift. So when we say we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, it is that statement of saying, I am in agreement with God the Father. I'm in agreement with the Lord that all that he has said about his son is true. Every ounce of of deity that the Lord has claimed is in his son, I believe, I agree with. And I say, I confess, then Jesus is Lord. So, So many people especially with, even in, in that time, we're okay with calling Jesus teacher, rabbi. A lot of people still recognize him as prophet. And that he's a good man and that he had good values and taught good things. It, but but it's, it's different to say, I believe Jesus was a good man or a good prophet or a good teacher to say, I believe Jesus is Lord. That's a big jump. And you have to make that jump in the process of salvation where you say, I confess, no, Jesus is Lord. He's not just someone who was good, who walked the earth. Now, I am not like a a name it and claim it kind of person, but I understand and recognize the power of my words, especially when it comes to my salvation and my need of saying, Lord, I confess that you are the Savior, that you are Lord. And it's that confession part of it, saying, I am in agreement with the Father as I speak that Jesus is Lord. And then he says, uh, and you believe in your heart. Believe in your heart that he raised him from dead. But our belief has to run deeper than head knowledge. He says, when you, when you see the word heart, especially like in, in Greek writings and stuff, they don't mean, obviously, and you know this, they don't mean like the physical beating heart of the body, but it's used similar to how we use the term heart in, in that it's our inner being, our inner person, and, and who we are at the core of who we are, right? And so he says, you believe in your heart. Isn't at the core of who you are, you believe that he was raised from the dead. Now, Paul doesn't mention the cross at this moment. He doesn't use the cross in this part of the process. It's understood because there had to be a death in order for him to be raised from the dead, right? And so you say, I believe then the work that was done on the cross through the re- and then the resurrecting power of the Lord, I, ha- I am saved. So it's this confessing he's Lord, and then I believe that he was raised from the dead. And this confession and this process of confession and belief leads to justification and salvation. So yes, it is the work of the Lord. It is done by him, but understand our role in the process. 
requires us to then speak it and believe it. And that is all that is required to receive it. I want to hang on to verse 13 for just a moment. And it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The key word there is everyone. That the grace of Jesus is available to all people who will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that he was raised from the dead and they will be saved. It's everyone. And too many times, we, 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 I feel like we minimize this in, in a sense of saying, you know what, I, I'm going to take care of, of this in, in, in this small amount of me around me or my home. And, and that's good. And we need to. It needs to start in the home. Hear me. It has to start in the home. Uh, we could go through a whole study of the church and the decline from the 60s on. We lost it in the house. And that's, and that's the reality. And that's another story another time. It starts in the home. But it has to go beyond that as well. We have to be aware of the fact that the gospel is for all people and that the grace of Jesus is available for all people who are willing to confess that he is Lord and believe in their heart that he was raised from the dead. And we go, that has is, is, is got to be a motivator for us. It's got to push us. It's got to say, you know what? I can do more. I can be better at reaching the people around me. I believe this 100%. There's no one on earth that God cannot save. But it comes down to the fact of the matter is the heart willing to turn to the Lord to accept and to receive his grace. Let's continue. And the second thing this morning is this. Everyone needs to hear. Everyone needs to hear. Romans 10, 14, and 15. It says, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, God's most common means of spreading the gospel is through Word of mouth, right? Which we all know in, in the marketing world, they tell you the most powerful, most effective form of marketing is word of mouth. You do well, and then people spread the good word, right? You, you do something really good, and all of a sudden people start talking about it, and then you begin to see an uptick in business. Now, if you do terrible, guess what else happens? That word starts to spread, and you see a decline in business rapidly. And so all of a sudden you go, man, things were going really well. We had a few people in. I, I heard it said this way, nothing kills a, a bad church faster than good marketing. <laughs> they show up, and they go, that was awful. We're never going back, right? You know, this is kind of the thing. So... <laughs> It's the same way in, in any other business, right? In the same, same form. So word of mouth is powerful. Word of mouth can cause things to spread like wildfire. And it's just this remarkable thing that, that you see, like all of a sudden, somebody's like, man, that was really good. You should go try it. How many of you have ever gone to a restaurant based on somebody else's recommendation, right? They're like, where should we go eat? We do that all the time. When we first moved here, we were like asking everybody, like, where are the good restaurants? Where should we go? And so people are like, oh, you should try this, this, and this. And guess what we do? We go and we try those places because somebody communicated that to us. Had we have never heard about those places, we still wouldn't have gone, right? We had somebody tell us about Resident Taqueria, and I'm giving them a plug just because I absolutely love that place. And so, uh, and we were like, man, we need to go check out Res- They're closed on Sundays, so don't get your hopes up for today. You have to plan it Monday through Saturday. 
Just throwing that out there. But it was like, man, so we went, right? Because word of mouth is powerful. This is the tool and the method that God still uses today for his gospel to be carried forward. It's through the preaching of the word. Now, it doesn't mean you have to get up on a box on the street corner and begin to, you know, say, turn or burn, repent for the hand of God is about to squash you like a bug, right? Like, that's not what we're doing here. But it's this understanding that through relationship and through connecting with people, the preaching of the word happens in conversation, It happens over a cup of coffee. It happens at dinner. It happens in the workplace. It happens uh, at at family gatherings and functions when people just begin to start having questions and conversation and dialogue that all of a sudden, you know what? I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And and if you want to present it that way, that's great. You'd be like, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. So sit down and listen, right? But the Lord is is like pulling us and drawing us saying, listen, people have to hear And the only way they're going to hear is if we say something. The only way they're going to hear the gospel is if we preach the gospel. The only way they're going to hear the word of the Lord is if we share the word of the Lord. So otherwise, they're not going to have an opportunity to hear or to know or to repent or to turn to the Lord. Because have they not heard? They they, they can't. They can't. You can't expect somebody to do something they don't know about if they don't know they're supposed to do it. Right? Right? I feel that way sometimes as a parent where you're like, did you do that? Well, no, you didn't tell me to. You're like, man, well, I guess you're right. You go, fair enough. Could you do that now? And then it's like, sure, right? Most of the time, right? You know, but it's this, con- it's this conversation that has to happen in, in the dialogue that has to take place so that people can hear the word of the Lord. It's the way God has designed it. It's the way that he plans it. Think for a moment about your own salvation. Whether you were four or 40, right? Regardless of where it took place, whether you were in church or at home or at work or in the grocery store, because we had a son that gave his heart to the Lord in a grocery store. So it was a cool moment. So so regardless of where it happened, what had to happen first, you had to hear. So even in your own life where you go, man, I'm so thankful for what Jesus has done in my life. It started with hearing the word of the Lord and hearing that Jesus gave his life for you and that all your sins can be forgiven and that we can live in eternity with Jesus simply by giving our lives to him through this confession and belief. It starts with hearing the word of the Lord. Now, sure, God does other things at times. Take Paul, for instance, where he just says, I'm gonna just show up and cause this guy to fall to his knees and be blind for three days. And that should do the trick. Sure enough, it did, right? But 99.9% of the time, it's through people hearing the word from other people. This goes back into alignment with what even Jesus said as he was getting ready to leave and to ascend into heaven. And he says, go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say, go into all the world and hope that they pick up on your, your social cues of finding Jesus. Like, go into all the world and hope that they look at you differently and ask questions. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Go and make. Go and make. There's action required. There's human responsibility in the process. The church has to rise up and take the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I've seen my feet. 
By human standards, they are below beautiful. (laughs) But Paul tells us that if if we carry the gospel, right? And he's quoting Isaiah. He says, but if we we take the word of the Lord, if we carry the gospel, we have beautiful feet. He said, how beautiful are those feet? Because you're carrying the most beautiful message. You're carrying the most beautiful word. What if we were more concerned with beautiful feet than with human perception and the thoughts of, do I look good otherwise? It's easy to fall into that, right? Where we go, you know, I'm all for being clean and put together and looking nice, right? I'm, I'm not against that. But what if, what if my drive and my motivation and all things would say, you know, I want God to look at me and say, you have beautiful feet. I'd be like, hey, thanks. Nobody else look at them. This summer, if we're at a pool together and I'm wearing flip-flops, divert your eyes. Just... So I'm not worried about what you think about my feet. I'm worried about what the Lord thinks about my feet. The third thing this morning is this. Everyone can be saved by grace. We're going to jump down to Romans 11, uh, verse 5 and 6. A little quick recap before we read that uh, of, of kind of what we just skimmed, what we just passed by before we get to these verses is that Paul explains that Israel heard the message and that many of them did not accept the message, right? And we talked about Christ being this stumbling block. And he's like, so they heard it and they still didn't turn to it. And so there's kind of this, this moment in this lull of like, well, so did God reject his people? And Paul's like, no, by no means. He didn't reject his people. And he says that even, uh, you know, Elijah had this moment of, oh God, I'm the only one left. And, and God says, no, no, you're not. There's 7,000 others that I've reserved for myself, right? That I've kept for myself. And so I I feel like in that moment, God's looking at Elijah like, stop having a little pity party. You're not by yourself. Chill out. There's 7,000 others. You're good. You know, anyways. And so, so Paul is saying, no, he's not reje- he's, he's ordained and set aside, set apart a people to accomplish his purpose. And he's, he's working while all these may be rejecting the Lord and not accepting Christ in this moment. And so here now we fast forward and, and, and Paul has already talked about the fact that there is this remnant of, of, of Israelites who have believed in Christ, right? And that they are now continuing as the true children of Abraham, so to speak, as we walk through that. And, and so he says, uh, you know, there's, Maybe not the full family has received the grace of Jesus because they're not the full family has accepted Christ. And so there's, but you're not alone. There's, there's more than just, it's not just me. I'm an Israelite. God didn't reject me and I know Jesus, right? So he's going through this. And then he says in verse five, he says, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And he says, and if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were grace, I'm sorry, if it were grace would no longer be grace. If it was based on our ability, it would weaken or diminish grace altogether, is what he's saying. Because if if Jesus was to say, I'm going to save you by grace, you give your heart to me, here's the grace that you need to be saved, and and then he says, but don't ever mess up again. Because you have to earn this every passing moment of your life. That's not grace. That's payment, right? And, and for us to think that, that we could ever earn anything from God or that God ever owes us anything is, is a complete affront to who God is. It's, it's, a, it's a way to diminish the grace of Jesus. And it's a way to, to say like, no, God, you owe me this. I've been this for you. And to have that mindset is, is just, I'm gonna stay away from you uh, because I don't want to be near you when the lightning strikes, because that is not the way God operates. He's like, no, I give freely. 
I'm not requiring or asking anything of you other than, than your life, right? Just nothing more than that, right? He's saying, I want you to give yourself to me and just be in complete surrender. See, we, we walk in righteousness, not because we find the right, we need the walking in righteousness to save us, but we walk in righteousness because we've been given the freedom to do so by the grace of Jesus. We're saved by grace, not by our own doing, not by anything we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to be like, hey, I've done this, I've done that, I've done everything I need to do, and I only, had, I only messed up one time this last week, and, and so in the end, I've done better than I've done bad, so it washes it. It's not the way it works. It's only by the grace of Jesus that we're saved. And that goes for every single person on the planet. Confession and belief. Everyone. Everyone. My, my big heart in all of this today is that, that we begin to wrap our minds around the fact that it is for everyone. Everyone. You see, it, it just, it runs through this whole thing. And, and Paul even at one point says, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. We're human. We're people. We need Jesus. And that doesn't matter if you're from, from Highland Park or if you're from the worst part of Dallas. It is, it, 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 and, and it, there's no difference between human to human in the need for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It's for everyone. And if we ever begin to, to minimize that or shrink that, then all of a sudden we lose sight of who God has called us to reach. We lose sight of who God has called us to reach. Salvation is a condition of the heart, not deeds. Salvation comes by grace, period, end of sentence. He gives it, we don't earn it, we receive it through confession and belief. I think that's the simplest way we can explain the doctrine of grace and salvation. He gives, we don't earn it, we receive it through confession and belief. It's waiting for everyone. It's there for anyone who will turn to the Lord. The fourth thing this morning, everyone can be part of the family. Romans 11, 11 through 24 gives some incredible insight of just how in we become how much a part of the family we become. And I won't read all of it. Um, but I want to pick up in verse 17. And I know I'm kind of throwing you a curveball there, Scott. But it says this, if, if some of the branches have broken off and you though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap, from the olive root. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Let's talk about that for a minute. This idea of being grafted in. I, uh, 
I love this concept. I love the, the understanding of, of being grafted and, and being brought in and being a part of the tree. So have you ever seen a branch grafted in before? So it's a really cool process in how they do this. So they, they take, they have the branch that's kind of stopped bearing fruit, right? There's no more fruit coming on this branch. So what they do is they actually go and they will cut the branch back. And they'll just cut that off with like a straight edge on the end of that branch. And so then they'll take another branch of maybe a smaller tree that they're trying to bring into that. They say, you know what? We can throw this in and it'll, it'll bear fruit and it'll start to grow and it's incredible stuff. And so what they do is they take this smaller branch that maybe is much thinner and they begin to cut it down to it's a very thin V shape at the end of that branch. So they have this really thin V shape. And then they take the other branch from which they're going to put it into that's going to be grafted into and they cut a notch. They just cut a slit, just a straight line. And then they prop it open so that this new branch can then slide all the way in until the part that's been cut and exposed is all the way into the the branch of the tree that they're going to be adding it to and making it a part of. So it slides in this V shape into this group so it, it holds tightly. Then they come back and they wrap it so that it holds even more firm. And so... And they leave that and they have it so it's super tight and it's really secure. And all of a sudden, this is an incredible thing. That tree will now begin to support and give life to this new branch. And it's not the other way around. It's not that that tree is now drawing life off of this smaller little branch that was brought in. That, that little branch is in desperate need now of the root system of that tree to provide the nutrients in the water so that it can begin to grow and flourish. Now, in, 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 a, in a few years' times, that branch can, too, also begin to produce fruit as if it was a natural branch in part of that tree from the beginning. It's incredible what happens. And now it takes years and years for it to begin to develop the strength it needs to become as strong as the rest of the tree. But what happens is over time, it begins to completely grow together. And you'll be able to tell there will be kind of a a, a rise around that branch where it was brought together, but then it will grow together where the bark completely covers both parts of the the branch together. But all of it becomes one. It's incredible. When you look at it and when you think about it in terms of our salvation and being brought into the family and being part of the family of Christ, that, that we're not just added into to where we're just like, okay, now you get to go jump in and hang on over there. No, no, no. We're brought in and literally it's as if we are grown into being a part of the actual tree itself. It's remarkable. To where then we begin to grow in this sanctification process. We grow and then we begin to bear fruit and we get stronger and stronger through the development that the Holy Spirit does within us. And so when we're grafted in, it's about becoming an original part, so to speak. It's remarkable. And now what he says there, when we talk about those branches that were cut off and, and, and Paul saying, listen, the Israelites, they had their chance. They had their moment and Christ was brought to them and many of them rejected and those were cut off because of unbelief. And here's what's cool. He goes on, he says, but that doesn't mean that's the end of the road for them. There is opportunity still for them to come to Jesus and to be grafted right back into the tree they came from, which is really cool. Get back to my notes before I get off on a tangent. Here's what I know. There are many people that are in need of hearing the gospel. Many people in need of hearing the gospel. And I want to do all I can for Grace Hill to continue to be effective in reaching the lost. I want to do all that I can to make sure that Grace Hill doesn't become restricted or doesn't slow down because of what we're doing here. 
We're going to do all we can to reach the lost. Go ahead, Scott. Over the last 18 months, God has done incredible things here at Grace Hill. We've seen several people give their hearts to the Lord, and many of them have followed that up now with water baptism. God is doing incredible things here. I love the fact that people's lives are being forever changed by the grace of Jesus. Here's what I know. God is not done. There are so many more that still need to hear the gospel and so many more that are searching for a truth that's real and so many more that need the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Over the last 10 years, DFW has been the fastest growing metropolitan area in our nation. Over the last decade, 1.35 million people have moved into DFW, and that's not looking like it's going to slow down anytime soon. In fact, we're projected to have another 1.4 million people move into Dallas over the next 10 years. While cities like Chicago and LA and New York have declined by 100 people a day, Dallas has grown by 250 people a day. Romans 10, 13 tells us that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So why do these numbers matter? Because every number has a name, every name has a soul, and every soul matters to Jesus. And you know what? They should matter to us too. Church studies show us that if you're 75% full, then you're full. We like our space. My heart is gripped with the fact that we are living in a lost world as we Jesus. And unless we do something different here at Grace Hill, we will be the limit to our impact for the kingdom. Over the last several months, Lauren and I have prayed and prayed and prayed and sought wisdom from the Lord, asking Him, what do we do to continue to increase our impact? And it has all led to this. On Easter Sunday, April 12th, Grace Hill will be launching two services, 9 a.m., and 11 a.m. This is a win for everyone. It's a win for you because now you can be serving in another area of the church and still attend the service that day. It's also a win for you because guess what? There's more parking available for everyone now. But more than that, it's a win for the kingdom of heaven because we've made room now for the lost to come and to find Jesus. I want you to get excited about what God is going to do at Grace Hill. Get excited about the role you get to play as you serve one and attend one. I want you to get excited about the impact that Grace Hill will have for the kingdom of heaven. I know this, that the greatest things are still to come, and we have not even begun to see all that God is going to do at Grace Hill. The best is yet to come. Listen, this is not something that we just kind of on a spur of a moment, on a whim, just came up to and said, hey, let's do this. This sounds like fun. Other people are doing this. This looks like a great idea. No, this is something that's been stirring in us and stirring in us for months and months and months. And you'll see our numbers will will fluctuate and will swell and get really tight in here. And then we bounce back down. That's called the law of the lid. So what happens is, is we hit our ceiling and we kind of dip. And so instead of continuing this cycle over and over, we have to do something so that we can continue to expand and reach people beyond our walls. When we say serve one, attend one, what do we mean? Are we asking 
asking you to attend and serve every week. No, no, we're not, we're not saying like, hey, now you can serve every single Sunday all the time. No, 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 no. But on the Sundays you serve, that opens you up to any and every area of ministry because now you can serve in kids ministry, you can serve in Grace Kids Junior, and you can still come to service that day. It frees you up to say, you know what? I can be involved and I can still be connected to what's happening in the auditorium so that I can be fed, so that I can grow, so that I can worship with other adults and believers and be a part of what God's doing. So the impact that we can have is greater. It's, it's, it's exponential, it's multiplied. Literally, it's multiplied because now we have the space and the capacity to do more for the kingdom than we've ever done. And yes, we joke about the parking, but we've had several conversations with people like, man, parking is getting a little tight out there. Parking, this is a great way to help fix that issue is to do that. I'm excited because I know that God has great things in store for Grace Hill. And you, if you want to see me get excited, let's keep having this conversation because I know that our best days are yet ahead and that we cannot be defeated and we will not quit, that we will continue to press forward, we'll continue to move, we'll continue to do big things so that our impact is beyond just the walls of our church so that we can impact our community, our city, our state, our nation, our world, because God wants to do big things. God wants to do big things. He's not done. And I want to step in partnership with what the Lord wants to do and with what he wants to accomplish. And I say we just storm the gates of hell and say we will win for the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, God, for what you're doing, for what you're accomplishing within your people here at Grace Hill. Lord, we know that our impact has only begun to be seen by the people around us, but you have greater things in store, greater plans ahead for our church and for our lives and for what you want to do. And so, Lord, today we step into agreement with you and we say, God, lead us and guide us, direct us in all things. Lord, reveal to us, God, if we're not on the dream team yet, what we can do to partner with Grace Hill to reach more people. And so, God, today let us leave excited about what God is going to do. Let us leave excited about where we're headed and excited about the future as we stand in in, in relationship with you, as we stand in union with you and say, God, you lead this church and we will follow. So in the name of Jesus, go with us. Let us be empowered by the spirit to reach the lost, to to walk with beautiful feet this week. In the name of Jesus, we give you glory. We give you honor for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.